Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 342 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, today's guest is Ian Morgan Cron. We are going to talk about the Enneagram, stress, crisis. Oh, my gosh, how do you care for yourself in the midst of this? And so I'm so glad you tuned in. And today's episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. You can book a free digital strategy session today at promediafire.com forward slash church growth and by Financial Peace University. Over 6 million people have discovered how to be debt free. You can get free access to financial peace and every dollar plus by texting the word carry, my name, C-A-R-E-Y, to 33789. That's carry to 33789. Thanks so much for our partners who make this possible. And guys, I just want to say thank you because you must be sharing this podcast. I don't know what's been going on, but like uh, we had almost 100,000 downloads. In fact, we were 13 downloads short of 100,000 last week as I record this. It's like in a week, seven days. It used to be a month like a couple of years ago. So thank you for sharing. We're at all-time record highs of just uh, leaders listening. If you're new, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for uh, letting other people know about this. And hey, just so you guys know, we got show notes too. So uh, I think you're going to get a lot of wisdom from this episode from Ian. He's a great thinker and can help you think through some stuff. And you can get show notes at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 342. There's also transcripts that are there every week. So if you want to dive deep and you like to read like I do, you can do that. We also are uploading these to YouTube, and we're seeing a lot of traction on YouTube these days, too. By the way, last week, didn't I guess it was over 100,000 because we didn't even include YouTube, where now thousands of people are watching every week as well. So anyway, you can head on over to YouTube. I've got a channel there. And uh, this episode with Ian Cron, as he and I were both in lockdown when we recorded this, are there. And thank you to our partners. Hey, just so you know, we only bring you stuff that I personally believe in. And one of the organizations I really care about is Financial Peace University. Coronavirus has disrupted our lives. Dave Ramsey and the folks at Ramsey Solutions are helping so many people uh, make a difference right now. And they've got a really cool offer to you. You can help others by leading a virtual Financial Peace University class. Financial Peace University is the proven plan that has helped nearly 6 million people stop worrying about money and learn how to pay off debt and save for emergencies. I promise you, I have lived with financial margin and without it, it is far better to do it with financial margin. It's totally free to lead and it's all done through a video chat like Zoom. So you don't have to take the class yourself. You don't have to leave your home. Dave Ramsey and his team handle all the teaching. They give you everything you need to lead with confidence. Also during the webinar, you'll also learn how you can get one year free access to financial peace and every dollar plus. That's a value of over $100 in your pocket. You can learn more by texting my name, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 33789. That's Carrie to 33789. ProMediaFire has been helping so many church leaders get on board with digital. And you thought about it last year, and then all of a sudden, well, for a lot of you, it's still the only thing you got. And it is definitely part of the future. So when I mention names like Netflix, Airbnb, and Uber, what do you think of? They were all part of disruption and they facilitated major change in their space. There's a disruption happening right now in the church 
and digital is disrupting everything. So if you need a partner that can help you navigate the shift, that's what ProMediaFire is doing with their church growth program. The church growth program provides your church with a digital coach, a creative team, a web team, and a social team for less than the cost of a staff hire. So you got a whole team of professionals and they would love to book a free strategy session with you today at ProMediaFire.com forward slash church growth. That's ProMediaFire.com forward slash church growth. So, so excited to have Ian Morgan Cron back on the podcast today. He's been on, I think a couple of times. We'll have all the links in the show notes and I've been on his show before. He's got one of the biggest podcasts out there right now called Typology on the Enneagram. And I found it to be such a helpful personality assessment. Uh, Later on in the What I'm Thinking About segment at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about the Enneagram and how I've used it to really transform my leadership, how you can use it to transform your leadership, some insights it will give you. Ian is a best-selling author, psychotherapist, psychotherapist, Enneagram teacher, Episcopal priest, and host of the popular podcast Typology. He's got a number of books and he is a sought-after speaker, thinker, and advisor to a growing roster of clients such as the Discovery Channel, Ramsey Solutions, Michael Hyatt Company, Warner Brothers Music, uh, and so many others. He and his wife, Anne, have three kids. They live in Nashville, and that's where I found him. He was sitting, I think, in his living room while we did this uh, interview. And as usual, it's so rich with Ian. So if you're stressed out, if you're trying to figure out how not to freak out in the future, and your Enneagram type can impact that, well, you're in for a treat. Here's my conversation with Ian Morgan Cron. Ian Cron, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Carrie, I always love being on your podcast, always. Well, you're becoming a frequent flyer now. I think this is round three and you've had me on yours and it's just great. I, I really enjoy uh, what you do to help me and my family. I think I've told you your road back to you book, which I put off. I delayed reading for like a year or two and then resisted the whole Enneagram thing. Then when I read it, I, I drank all the Kool-Aid, reached out to you and I'm a raving fan and practitioner. So um, I got to ask you, because we were chatting before we started recording, this crisis has hit everybody. You know, you're recording from your house, not from your studio. But how has this personally impacted you, just as Ian? Ian the leader, Ian the person? Yeah, well, um, in, many, in many ways, uh, you know, it's it has its challenges. Uh, it is... Uh, you know, I've taken some financial hits as I think mm-hmm. all of us have because I can't travel, I can't speak. Most of my work is corporate. Uh, and so, you know, I can't fly to, to the Discovery Channel or wherever I'm speaking. It's like, well, that's done for a while. Yeah. So hopefully, those, hopefully those are postponements, not cancellations. Mm. We'll see. Um, I mean, personally, I have to say, I, I've been doing, compared to many people, I'm doing great. Um, I, you know, I'm a four on the Enneagram. People may not know what that is, but, but I have to say I'm, I am fundamentally an optimist. Mm. Uh, and I, I do see not in no way to diminish the, the, the human tragedy that's out there, but just for me personally, um, I, you know, I'm, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing well. I don't mind being mm. in my house. I don't. You know, yeah. uh, I'm slightly introverted, so that's fine. I was going to say, are you introvert or extrovert? Introvert, kind yeah. of an ambivert in between, mm-hmm. so I can go either way. And, but I also have, uh, you know, all my kids are here, 
which is yeah. they all came to Nashville to get out of New York City, to get out of, you know, places where it was a little hotter uh, in terms of the virus. So I don't know. It's it's lovely having all of them and I'm working hard. And so in terms of personal, I mean, I miss the face to face interactions of every day. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, given what we're facing, I think I'm doing well. Do you, where's your wing lean? Are you a three or a five? Um, you know, I, I'm a believer that you can access the resources of both wings. Okay. I think, I think I tend toward like right now I'm hot four with a three yeah. <laughs> because that, that, that three wing is, is what drives ambition, extroversion to succeed, uh, my desire to avoid failure, um, all those things. But, uh, you know, when I'm in book writing mode, I'm sort of leaning into my five wing, you know, where hmm. I'm doing research and I'm hunkered down, uh, and very, very focused. So, you know, I, I'm, I say I'm a strong four with a three wing. Mm. Yeah. I, I wondered because when we were chatting about how you pivoted, you started a YouTube channel. I'm like, that feels a little bit like three rather than researching how to pivot, you know, for, for a little yeah. while, not to be stereotypical. Um, What's been most surprising to you in the crisis so far? Yeah. Well, let's putting the national uh, situation aside. Uh, I think let's talk maybe from a more personal perspective. I'd, I'd say what's been most delightful and surprising to me is just how adaptable and creative, resilient, supportive, and courageous most people are. Hmm. And it's not so much a surprise as it is a delight to see happening. Um, and, and I'd say that, the, you know, on a more professional note, that the crisis has profoundly increased my confidence uh, in the Enneagram as a predictor of human behavior. Right? <laughs> really? Uh, How so? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's underscored what a practical and actionable tool the Enneagram is for personal and professional growth. Um, you know, personality, if you think about it, is really about, and so is the, and this is true of the Enneagram, it's about probabilities. Hmm. You know, in this situation, Carrie as an eight, it's probable he is going to react this way. It's not a guarantee, right? right. Are, people are more mysterious than that. But I can say, well, with a high degree of probability, this is how he's going to respond, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, as I talk with leaders uh, over Zoom and CEOs, I had a big meeting this morning with one of a Fortune 500 company I'm working with. I mean, it's it's fairly predictable <laughs> how they're responding and, and, and how they're responding to good advice about how to adapt. So asking for a friend, uh, how how would you expect an eight to respond in a crisis like this. I want to see if I did all the predictable things. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to make, you're a big, bold decision maker. You're going to be confident. Eights and sixes are great. I mean, you know, you'll sleep on the floor to get stuff done. Hmm. Uh, you know, you're, uh, if you're not so healthy, you, you'll be impatient with details uh, you'll be very wary of deception, you know, on other people's parts. You'll see vulnerability maybe as a weakness, hmm. uh, in people and boredom would be very bad for you. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think you're probably, uh, well, well, 
uh, suited for crisis. It was really interesting because uh, you and I were talking about before we hit record, uh, so many of my instincts kicked in. Like we've never been down, we've all been down roads before, but nothing like this. But what really shocked me is how primitive and instinctive my behavior became. And immediately, you know, as we watched the world unravel in the course of a few days, and I had a massive trip to Australia canceled, we were going to fly out on the Sunday. That was the first weekend churches couldn't meet. And, you know, we had called it a couple days earlier, but it's like, wow, there was all this time on the calendar that wasn't there before. But like by Monday morning, we had already half pivoted as an organization. I'm like, okay, travel may be gone for a while. We're going to be a 100% digital company. Uh, what does this make possible? By Monday at lunch, after, you know, Friday the 13th, Monday the 15th, whatever that was, uh, 16th, we agreed on a new podcast. 10 days later, we launched the free How to Lead Through Crisis course. And all of that, I'm almost like on autopilot. Like, I, it was long days, long nights, but kind of command and control. I tend to be more collaborative. And the whole team was involved and other people and other partners were involved. But, you know, looking back on it, I almost thought, oh my gosh, like you're almost, it, it, it was just so instinctive to go in yes. that direction. Is that very yep. 8-ish? I, I think it's a number of numbers that would do that um, mm. on the Enneagram. I think uh, threes would do it. I think sevens will do it. Uh, you know, uh, other types have to, uh, other types can do it, but they have to burn more calories than you do. In order right. to, it's just not in their nature important and i think it's important for leadership of any kind i, I can remember years ago gail hyatt uh, hmm. our mutual friend mike Hyatt's wife we were on a boat trip and in fact we were going on a boat we were on a boat taxi going out to bob goff's house and yeah. i was going i was going through a difficult time about something happening in my life uh and we were staring over the the, the rail on the side of the boat looking at the mountains and stuff and i was like gee gail how do I get things back to the way they used to be? You know, like that's what I kept asking myself. How can I get things back to quote unquote normal, you know, the way they used Mm -hmm. to be? And she said, Ian, that's the wrong question. She said, the right question is, what does this new situation make possible? Yeah. And I just, I have never forgotten that, that, that statement because it was, it just completely turned everything on its head. So as I look at the, at COVID I think to myself, okay, this is a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing for people who are sick or uh, who have family members who have died. But in in my situation, the question I have to ask in the spirit of hope and faith is, aha, what does this make possible? What new Mm -hmm. things can emerge? Uh, You know, another way, another question I think that's great for leaders is, let's say, from a faith perspective, maybe, what... Uh, is God's will for my life in this situation over which I have no control? Hmm. Yeah, these are great the question. stop and reflect moments. Stop and reflect moments. So I'm really glad you said that, you know, you as an ape were asking a question. Okay, well, what does this make possible? Well, I got that question actually, and I wasn't on a boat with him, but Mike Hyatt used to do a podcast years ago, this is probably seven, eight years ago, when he was still basically reading into the microphone blog post. He said several. But he raised that once and I never forgot it because you usually focus on what you lose. You don't, and then you try to recreate what you had, which is sometimes really difficult. Or how do I get back? Your question on that ship, that that boat. 
And I think it's like, what does this make possible? What is what is not being able to fly indefinitely make possible? What does being grounded in my home make possible? What does the new economic reality make possible? And it's a very different framing of the question. I found it really helpful. Who, yeah. I don't want to get into, um, you know, going through all the questions by type, but who would, what personality types, which numbers would have the hardest time with this kind of disruption and which would most easily gravitate toward the opportunities? So it all depends on the degree of health ah. that they exhibit that they exhibit in their type. So let's talk about it as a high functioning type, an average functioning type, a low functioning type, sure. right? And so if you're high functioning, I mean, you're going to do better than the average bear. You know what I mean? Uh, I think certain types will have vulnerabilities, right? Uh, ones uh, might struggle with the unpredictability, the lack of control. Hmm. Um, twos, the absence of social contact will be difficult for them. For fives, they're all thrilled. They're all at home and they're, <laughs> they're holed up in their mental castle. They know more about COVID than the CDC and Anthony Fauci and, and anybody else. I think it's hard on sixes because they, they have a high need for certainty, safety, and security. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be difficult for them. And uh, so I think, I think those types are, are going to have a little bit more heavy lifting to do. Yeah, you know what? And it's funny. This is what I love about your work and about the Enneagram is as you're giving numbers, people I know and care about are popping into my mind. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that's why she's struggling right now. Or that's what that leader mm -hmm. said to me. And I, I think you're right. And I really want to drill down on health. So I'm glad you went there because uh, one of the parts of your book, The Road Back to You, that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about at length is the because everyone says, oh, I'm an eight or I'm, you know, I'm wing three or whatever that happens to be. But uh, people don't talk as much about the health aspects, the higher functioning, you know, the average and then the lower and I've really thought a lot about that. Like, what does a healthy eight look like? And so I would love for you to unpack the basic concepts behind whatever number you happen to be. You know, yes. there's a big difference between because a healthy eight can be super helpful and an unhealthy one can destroy the world, literally. Uh, and the same with every number. So can you walk us through those three frameworks that you run every Enneagram type through? Yeah, so the beautiful thing about the Enneagram as compared to other personality typing systems is that it bakes into its calculations the fact that the human personality is fluid. So I'm a type four. Now, when I'm under stress, I tend to start looking like an unhealthy two. I'm going to be a four. Hmm. I'm just going to take on some of those. You're going to see behaviors, patterns of thinking, acting, and feeling that look like an unhealthy two. When I'm doing great, I look like a healthy one. So hmm. There's one level of like that the you know the enneagram can predict a little bit. Okay, what's going to happen under stress? What's you're going to look like when you're doing great? The other way is is it recognizes that at any given moment, uh, you can be high functioning, and maybe another way of thinking about that is you are operating with a high degree of self awareness, and uh, in that average space, you're kind of half asleep. You're a little bit on autopilot, right? So your, your shadow side is operating and you're kind of in that kind of spiritual torpor state, you know, where you're just kind of operating on autopilot. 
Low functioning is the complete absence of self-awareness and a lot of really bad shadow aspects start to emerge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, for example, an eight uh, in a low in a very low functioning place can become vengeful. Really, they can become cruel. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can become bullies. Uh, You know, so that's though in that low functioning position. Is that like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say, is that a season for you? Or can you be like functioning healthily at 8 a.m. and uh, descending into the valleys by dinner? Or how, how does that work? You know, I'm really glad you asked that. The answer to the question is you're moving around on that continuum all day long. Okay, interesting. You know, so, and that's why the Enneagram is so great. Because once you understand your type, and you see yourself starting to spiral down. You know the red flags. Hmm. You can you can go. Do I want to continue on this path because this never ends well? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it, that's the beauty of it. Uh, it's not a static. Like like I love Strengths Finder, but first of all, who doesn't want to t- take a test called Strengths Finder? You know. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But if they, you know, same thing with Myers Briggs. They tend to be more static. It's almost mm-hmm. uh, like. This is what you're like, period. But the Enneagram is like, no, that personality is dynamic. It's moving all the time. And and once you learn the system, which is not that difficult, it's fantastic for being able to, to uh, mitigate the possibility of your spiraling into your worst self. Okay, that explains a lot of behavior because in I, I observe it in my own self. I see it in the people close to me. I also see it with the leaders I connect online. A lot of people are talking about yo-yo mood swings, about um, good days, bad days, about really being sometimes surprised by their own behavior, which of course is what stress will do. And I'll, I'll give you, like I had an example Friday where I had a really productive week last week, probably overscheduled in Zoom meetings like the rest of the planet. And by the time we got to group, uh, we did a Zoom group because we're still under quarantine here. But I'll just give you this scenario, which was really interesting. Uh, I, uh, the group was going okay, but I kind of didn't have energy for group. And as the group went on for about an hour and a half, I felt my battery was draining. So I'm the guy as an eight who wakes up with 200% battery life, but it was like, you could right. just watch the meter go down. I'm in the red, right. it's yellow, then I'm in the red. I took a break at the end and then we kind of came back and they were talking about next group and someone in the group was perceptive, read my body language and said, Carrie, do you want to meet next week or not? And I'm like, no, I'm pretty busy. So why don't we just meet in a couple of weeks and blah, blah, blah. And Tony's right. like, wow, you totally, when we hung up, she's like, you totally blew them off. And you just like offended all of our friends. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so like what I was feeling on the inside kind of leaked out to the outside. Is that what you're saying? And uh, you know, it was one of those things. I got a good night's sleep. I apologized to everyone the next day. We worked it through. Uh, and by Sunday, I felt better. But those are the kind of like oscillations between health and unhealth you're talking about? Yes, yes. Hmm. And I, I would say that for me, one of the cool things about the Enneagram is, is that I'm far, I'm, I'm not uh, very surprised at very many of my behaviors. Like they're fairly <laughs> predictable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't have to wait so many years. Like the Enneagram is really cool. Like, you know, hey, you are heading toward bad space right now. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so I, I can see it coming a lot quicker yeah. than, than, than most. 
So generally speaking across different types, and, and again, you're, you're a trained uh, therapist, the whole deal as well. So I would love to know what are some of the signs for leaders that's like, uh-oh, yellow flag here, uh-oh, red flag here. What, what, uh, what should tip you off that you've got to pay attention? Well, I would say that it sort of depends on the type. Right. Mm. I mean, it's sort of okay. type. Yeah, it's you can not, break it down. It's not. Yeah, it's not the same for everybody. You know, I think uh, with ones when they find themselves uh, becoming increasingly hypercritical or judgmental uh, of other people, um, impatient, uh, and when um, they are beginning to feel a little depressed and feeling like I, I just can't make the world a perfect place, right? Because they're called the perfectionists. Hmm. Um, twos will know they're in trouble when they get aggressive. Hmm. Um, twos are called the helpers. They're genuinely very warm and supportive, but when they're under stress and not a red flag for a two would be, I feel unappreciated and they blow their top. You you know what I mean? Like they they really can blow their top and say, why doesn't everybody take care of me the way I take care of them? For a three, the achiever that is normally very productive, achievement oriented, ambitious, uh, you know, everything's about productivity and efficiencies. When, when they're in a bad space, they'll know it because they'll, they too will take on, they'll, they'll start to act like an unhealthy nine. Um, they'll be laying around the couch, not as concerned about their uh, physical appearance. Uh, they'll feel a little bit more like a failure. Uh, they'll feel like, okay, well, what's the next goal? I can't really figure it out. For a four, um, you know, fours can become clingy and cloying and uh, a little too needy. Uh, for a five, they, they start to act like an unhealthy seven. They get, they have so many ideas and so much going on up in their head. And then it starts to come out in this torrent of, you know, stuff. And it, and it can be, I call it word salad. They, a lot of their ideas aren't <laughs> connecting. <laughs> you know, they're yeah, just kind of yeah. like, you know. And they get overwrought. Uh, for for sixes, they get um, uh, they they can become more worst case scenario thinkers, uh, more indecisive, uh, le- more suspicious of authority figures. Um, you know that's not a great space for them. Uh, sevens can become like like uh, unhealthy ones. They can get they'll take the moral high ground. Uh, they'll become if they get bored and there's no escape options, they can become very irritable. They hate being told what to do. So I always laugh. Mm. My son's a seven. And and right now, you know, the COVID thing is still kind of a spontaneous adventure, you know, <laughs> uh, so he's, he's kind of into it in a weird way, but, but a time will come when he's going to be feeling like I'm tired of the government telling me what to do. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, or, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't like it when people limit my options or, you know, that's not a great thing. As I mentioned to you, uh, when eights aren't in a great spot, you guys start to act like unhealthy fives. You start to withdraw. You become more introverted. You step back instead of step lean in. Yep. Uh, and you begin to do a lot of planning. And sometimes, you know, if you're really unhealthy, it's more like scheming. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, what am I going to do here? You know, and so. You know, and and I say for nines, the peacemakers, uh, when they're in, not in a great space, they look like unhealthy six. They get a little paranoid. They think the world's against them. Uh, they become even more indecisive and ambivalent than they typically are, become more self-questioning and self-doubting than they usually are. So 
you know, every type, I mean, I'm just giving you fingernail yeah, yeah, yeah. sketches for each of these types. But again, what hope what it d- demonstrates is just how predictable and habitual our behaviors are, you know, mm-hmm. and man, when you can get a leader to understand their type and the types of others, the advantage it gives them is amazing. It's really interesting because, you know, on the emotional intelligence thing for Friday night, I'm like praying about it, talking to Tony about it and others like, what can I learn? And I thought, okay, you know, part of uh, emotional health is self-awareness. Oh, I came across that way. Uh, The other Goldman and yourself and others would say is self-regulation, right? So, okay. And then I'm like, well, what happens when I blow my self-regulation, which kind of happened at the end of group? I'm like, oh, wonder if I want to add in self-limitation. And I think a much better decision that night would have been to say, I'm going to bed at eight o'clock. I know I'm tired. I'm just going to have to pull myself out of this and we'll start again tomorrow. Is that, is that wise? Any other thoughts on what you can do when you find yourself moving into behavior that you know is probably going to not turn out well? Yeah. So one of the questions I I give to leaders all the time is when, when they're in a, whenever situation you should walk into with this question in mind, what does, I'm going to put this in a more spiritual frame, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what does love require of me right now? Hmm. I think that's a very powerful question. What does love require of me right now? Hmm. And perhaps in your situation, it would be to get vulnerable, which is not easy for eights, and say, you know what, guys? I'm really drained. I'm really tired. I think I've hit the end of myself. You know, I'm at the end of my own rope. I love you. Would it be okay if next week we we took a pause? You know, um, that 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 would have been maybe a better course of action. <laughs> were you to remind yourself that there is always a question on the table, which is, what does love require? Right? Yeah. Telling, being vulnerable with my team or my group, and um, that's not easy for me. But it's what's that's what love is asking me to do right now. That's a great question to bear in mind because it was really interesting. I thought I was sharing vulnerably and Tony, my wife at the end, you know, Tony, she just said, you weren't vulnerable at all. The way you shared in group, you made it sound like you had it all together and all figured out. I'm like, okay, clearly my battery is low. I don't even know what day it is anymore. So uh, that's good. What are some other, are there some general practices? And if you want to go through it type by type, please feel free to. But are there some practices, particularly in the kind of chaos that we're in right now, that generally move people to health? Yeah, there are. But I want to, you said something so brilliant a second ago. I just want to, can I just go back to it? Yeah, by all means. Yeah. It's really, it's really great. So there is a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Hmm. So... You know, uh, sometimes I'll watch a pastor and they're quote unquote being transparent. This is the struggle I have in my own life, right? And I can tell that it feels uh, a little calculated. Like they're, the, the self the revelation feels a little calculated. Like, you know, but here's how you know you're being vulnerable, Mr. A, who I love carrying you off. I mean, <laughs> um, vulnerability, your heart rate should go up a little sweat on your upper lip, uh, the feeling of the queasiness. Like when I'm really being vulnerable, I feel a little scared. Mm. And if I don't feel that fear, I know that I'm probably not being vulnerable right now. I may be more transparent, but I, which is not a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. I mean, and, but, and people can smell the difference between transparency and vulnerability. That is uh, a vulner- distinction I've never thought of. 
Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's really helpful to me. Yeah, if, if I'm vulnerable, like uh, I have a 12-step group I've gone to for many years for addiction recovery to drugs and alcohol, many decades now. And I know when I share something and my heart's pounding and I feel exposed, my weaknesses are really exposed, I feel a little ashamed that I'm, you know what I mean? Then mm-hmm. I know. Oh, I know exactly I'm, what you I'm, mean. This is vulnerability, Ian. And transparency isn't a bad thing. It's just not always the best thing, you know? So that's a, that's a distinction I love to make. I may be much less vulnerable than I thought. That is really something to think about and pray about and grow through. Mm. All right. That, that is really, really good. We could drop the mic, finish there, but we won't. <laughs> uh, Ian, uh, okay. What about healthful, healthy practices in yeah. like, and again, take it by type or take it in uh, more general practices, whatever you think is most helpful. Yeah. So I have a practice called SNAP and it's great for every type. Mm, okay. uh, the acronym is SNAP uh, and the S stands for STOP. Okay, so now you're in interactions. Now, I I say SNAP is particularly useful when you are in a situation where you are beginning to feel difficult emotions, disappointment, anger, uh, whatever, some pain point is activated, right? So when that starts to happen in me, and you can feel in your body, right? You know Mm -hmm. when shame, shame is coming up, you know, whatever, you stop. And what I mean by that is cease all goal directed activities. And okay. step back, stop. Second would be N, notice. And what I mean by that is just notice what's going on inside of you. Uh, you don't have to name it. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to evaluate it. Just just notice what what's going on here. Then the A, right, is ask, right? Ask. So what that means is... Um, and you know, um, there's three questions you can ask in the, in this section, right? One would be, what am I believing right now? The next question would be, is it true? And then the third question would be, what would my life look like right now? If I chose to not believe that narrative anymore. Hmm. So in other words, let's say shame comes up in a situation. You stop, you notice it, okay, you name it, maybe maybe you do name it, okay, I'm feeling shame. Then you start to ask the question, yeah, is the source of this shame, is it true? Is it, is it a place I want to remain? I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions that you can, you can move mm. on. And then, then the next step is just pivot. You know, make a change. Just pivot away. Because I think, and that's a great practice for everybody. You know, the, the great psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, I, I'm sure you've read Man's Search, Man's for, Search Meaning, for Meaning, yeah. the, uh, which I recommend to everybody, obviously. Um, he has this great quote. He says, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space lies your freedom and your power. Hmm. So another thing I always, I mean, a word I'm always using with leaders and friends is pause. <laughs> exercise the pause, capital P, you know, and because most people go from an experience of stimulus, something has hacked them off or whatever, Mm. and they go right to response without ever stepping into the gap between stimulus and response. 
and making a different choice than they would on autopilot. I'm going to let that sink in. Yeah, Snap also helps that process. Well, I imagine that only gets more intense too because uh, we'll see where people are when this thing airs and it'll vary from parts of the country and around the world. But uh, people have been at this point for the most part at least a month in quarantine, locked down with the people you supposedly love the most, who also are the people who irritate you the most. It's always a correlation. And I think that Snap framework can be really helpful. Can you speak into that? Like people are really struggling with their families right now. And you were telling me you've got a new resource on that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I use this in my family all the time. Mm. Um, I use uh, use it in my recovery all the time. When I begin to have what we call afflictive emotions, uncomfortable emotions that you know something has been triggered in you, right? Um, You know, I... I try to exercise the pause. I just say, okay, stop. Notice what's happening inside of you. Ask yourself, because usually there's an underlying message or belief, right? So let's Mm -hmm. say, let's say my, my son is, uh, snaps at me, right? The underlying belief might be my son disrespects me and it's, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, okay, is that true? Well, maybe in this moment, but in general, is that true? Um, and uh, what am I believing right now would be the, might be the other question. You know, I'm believing that my son doesn't respect me. Then the next one would be, is it true? No. And the third one might be, what would it be like if I just decided to drop that storyline and then pivot? Hmm. And so you can do, and by the way, this can take 20 seconds. It's just yeah. learning, learning to pause between the stimulus and the response. And that's not just in your family, man. You know, great leaders always pause between a stimulus and a response. I think uh, I was listening to an interview recently with Chris Voss, the negotiator, the FBI negotiator. And he was saying uh, one of the best things you can do is stop and even name what you're feeling with, uh, what you're dealing with, fear, anxiety, worry, terror, whatever the emotion is. And he says he has to do that to himself. And his argument was what we know about the the brain now is you're actually interrupting the circuits that make you feel a certain way. And by naming it, you're kind of deactivating it. And once you name it enough, you're like, oh, that's fear I'm feeling. Oh, I feel offended. Oh, I feel shame. You kind of name it. And that that's most of the battle he was arguing. Does that operate at the neurological level? Like at the point where you're, yeah. Yeah, you bet. Because, you know, we don't have probably time, we don't have time to really go into how the, the if, if people were watching this, I could do it easier with my hand. But uh, well, actually, uh, we will have this on YouTube. So go ahead. We've, oh, we've added a, oh, a tiny YouTube channel. Oh, you look uh, great. So if you think about it, I may not do this correctly, but if this is the, this is, imagine this is the reptilian brain, like the okay. limbic system, right? And it's in here. And here you've got the prefrontal cortex where, you know, this is where you have like uh, executive decision making, uh, mm. abstract thinking, right? And then, you know, here, here we're going down the spinal column, down the back here, right? Uh, now, literally, when you get triggered, particularly, let's say, with trauma, this is what we mean when you pop your lid, right? You flip wow. your lid. So this whole prefrontal thing goes out. And what's here? The reptilian reactive limbic system that is going to throw you into reactivity. 
So you're going to, and it doesn't always end very well. This is the fight or flight part of the brain, right? And you're going to go into fight or flight mode and that's reactivity. What Voss is saying, what I'm saying using that snap thing is how can I, how can I avoid flipping my lid Mm -hmm. and then defaulting to this scary place of, you know, the reptilian or limbic system, you know, where, uh, you know, evolution gave it to us so that when Impala, you know, if you were, you know, if we were on the Serengeti right now and a lion jumped out, that is very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But unfortunately, we don't, I mean, as evolution goes, we don't live in a world where this system uh, needs to be online Mm. the way it did 10,000 years ago, you know, but it activates, particularly with trauma. Is that a little bit of a a muscle that can be exercised? So years of uh, counseling, prayer, reflection, uh, et cetera, in my own life, I would say I fly a lot less off the handle now than I used to as an eight. So if that is something, if you get in the habit of, you know, doing the snap, the stop, uh, what's the end again? Notice, Notice, ask, and pivot, which I think I've kind of subconsciously been trying to do. Do you just get better at it over time? Yes. Okay. So that's muscle memory. Yeah, because neuroplasticity, we know the brain can change. Ah. Even we used to think that, you know, after a certain age, the brain didn't change. But we know now that the brain, it takes effort, but... Uh, you can make or change neural pathways that were, you know, that generated certain behaviors that those can change. You know, they take, it takes work, but they can change. And, you know, uh, I think spiritually speaking, we always want to live in a responsive state versus a reactive state. And I think that's what Voss is saying, right? He stops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He names what's going on. I feel scared. I feel ashamed. I I feel um, disappointed. Whatever whatever it is, I feel uncertain. Just when you name it, uh, in a way, you're getting some distance from it. You're like, you know, um, like for me, I don't over-identify with the feeling. Like I may say, uh, I'm not, you know, typically you might say, I'm scared. I'm terrified. When it's actually... You know, um, what I'm experiencing right now is terror, but you are not terrified as much as you are a creature who is experiencing this emotion called terror. So I'm always trying to kind of distance myself a little bit from what it is that I'm feeling and not over identifying myself with it and, and saying, you know, this is like some kind of permanent state or part of my identity. It's not. It's, a, it's just a, an emotion moving through my body and through my person. But, you know. I don't need to become attached to it. What about other habits? People have talked a lot in this season about sleep, diet, exercise, sleep, diet, exercise. How much do those three really impact your ability oh. to respond well? Oh, all right. So when I have when I had therapy clients, I don't have a practice anymore. But I, I tell this to leaders when I when I'm doing coaching, they'll come to me. I freak out something, and 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 it's a, it sounds like dumb questions, but they're not. I'll say, Have you eaten today yet? Hmm. So like one of the questions all that and they'll be like nah, i kind of didn't have breakfast and it's 11 a.m and i'll be like okay ha, have you uh when was the last time you exercised uh how much sleep did you get last night uh and i'll ask this sounds like a dumb question i'll go how much water did you drink today because hmm. you know it's almost like let's just start with the basics okay 
uh, are you eating, sleeping, exercising, hydrating, just doing the basics that keep you, you, you going. So those things are, and, and what's your diet been like? What's the quality of your mm. diet? Right. Is it because, all sourdough bread and Oreos? Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, during the, I can tell you that my COVID diet it is, but it, <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of anxiety eating around here. Um, but that said, you know, I, those sound like dumb questions, but it's amazing when I, when like I'll get a guy or a woman on the phone and they'll say, well, I haven't had it. And I said, well, tell you what, go eat something and call me back in two hours. Mm. And then let's have this conversation, you know, go eat something healthy, uh, go for a walk, drink some water, come back in two hours. And let's see if this problem is the same size or if our perspective on it has changed. And usually it has. Yeah. It's basic stuff. Lots of time. Lots of time it has. Or I'll, I'll be like, you've got to get eight hours a night. Uh, or, and, and if possible, a 30-minute nap at around 2 o'clock. Here, here. I'm all for that nap. That's awesome. Any advice for leaders who are not sleeping? I got a lot of friends. Right, I've never, I'm almost, I think, narcoleptic. I can sleep almost <laughs> anywhere, anytime. So, narcoleptic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it. it's, a, it's a spiritual gift. I have the spiritual gift of near narcolepsy. So I've, I've been a few times in my life where I've been a bit sleepless, but I have a lot of friends who like their mind is racing. They're really struggling. They're not sleeping. I would say in the first two weeks of the crisis, three weeks, I was up at three 30 or four every morning, just kind of that. All right, it's time to get up. Let's get moving. What are we going to do today? But, um, what would you say to those who are struggling with chronic insomnia? Okay. So a couple of things. One is sometimes chronic insomnia can be caused by other, uh, medical conditions. So you ought to see a doctor. Okay, right. so that would be the first thing. Um, you might need a sleep study done because you have sleep apnea or some form of sleep apnea that you are, like, for example, not stopping breathing in the middle of the night, uh, mm. which some do, or whatever the case may be. That would be the first stop. And the second stop I would make is to ask people, uh, well, two hours before bed, no screen time. Yeah. Get off your iPhones, get off your iPads, get off your computer for at least two hours before bedtime does tv count or can you watch tv to wind down i I would be you know uh i think the problem with tv is that so much of it is so stimulating you know if you're watching a murder mystery you're watching stuff i mean you know just read just just decompress it i know it's hard for people but definitely do it definitely get those like blue lenses wear them Mm. all day i mean you know uh just the uv coming out of a or the, the type of light that's being emanated from these things confuses our circadian rhythms, right? So that would be another thing. I think, can you say more on that? I think they've advertised on your podcast, if I heard that right, the the blue lenses. You mean like it's a uh, light, blue light yeah. filter that like a coating yeah, it, that you have? Yeah, and you don't see it. So you don't have to worry about that. You know, you're not walking, you don't walk around looking like Johnny Depp and those little blue glasses. <laughs> um, so it might be kind of cool for a four. That would um, be really cool. I, I, um, yeah, I mean, I think the... We're just, you know, human being. Oh, another thing would be, just don't watch the news at night. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're we're given human beings are fundamentally not physiologically set up to have the amount of information we have without it becoming a cascade of overwhelming information about which you can do nothing. Right. You, you know, you're out. You know, what are you going to do about a war in Yemen? What do you, it, but you're seeing pictures about it and the whole world looks like it's, you know, gosh, get out of the situation room at night with you, you know, if you can. I mean, that's a disaster. Um, so, I mean, I, um, I'm a big believer in eight hours a night 
And when I meet people who tell me, I only need four hours a night, and I'm like, well, you're psychotic because that <laughs> there is not a sleep study in the world. You know, they usually say it with great pride too, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, for every, I'm just telling you, man, leaders who don't get sleep make bad decisions. Yeah. Bad decisions get made when there's not enough sleep. We're just not designed for it. It's really good advice. Okay, so three, sevens, and eights tend to populate the leadership space in some. Yep. I mean, there are others who, yep. you know, there, but we have this is a leadership podcast. Uh, let's talk about some of the major triggers for three, sevens, and eights. Almost all my friends in leadership, I, I can just predict you're a three, seven, or an eight. And right. what are some of the triggers, the stressors that are unique to those numbers? Yeah. Well, let's talk if you don't mind just for a second about the three sevens and eight leadership sort of. Yeah, totally. Question. Right. So it's interesting, you know, certain, certain personality types are drawn, tend to be drawn or thrown into positions uh, of leadership. And it's, it's sort of organization or industry dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the kind, right. Like where is it in the cycle? Let's say you work for a church. Like, where is the church in its cycle, its evolution, right? A leader at year five is not the right leader necessarily at year 15, right? True. So that's, so that's one thing. Uh, I would say that um, uh, any type can, can make a great leader if their, their style, their personality style aligns with their context, right? Now, most MBA programs try to make everybody into a three, the achiever. Mm. That seems to be their goal. Like threes are, are natural leaders because they're adaptable, they're optimistic, they're pro- productivity-oriented, task-oriented, ambitious, inspiring. And they tend to see and leverage opportunities and the quickest way to seize those opportunities than other types. Um, sevens tend to be great short-term or startup leaders, but not necessarily great long-term managers. I just talked to a guy, head of a huge company. He started it. He's 35 years old. Very wise for a 35-year-old guy. He started this company, built it up to about $500 million in value. And at year five, he said, I got to get a CEO and I got to get a three Hmm. because I'm a startup guy. I brought all the energy and the juice to the table, the vision, the inspiration, the, you know, all the creativity. But now I need somebody to run the shop. And if I continue to do it, I'm going to start undoing everything I did in the first five years. (laughs) Right? Um. You know, and I think eights uh, are great leaders because they're bold, they're quick to make big decisions, they're inspiring, they have wild amounts of energy, uh, and they can just, you know, uh, I hate to say it, they can, they're, they're more steamrollers than diplomats. So they, they, they tend to be able to, to make, they make things happen. Eights mm-hmm. just make things happen. Uh, so, that's, I think, a little bit of why three, sevens, and eights in our culture particularly tend to find themselves in positions of leadership or aspire to them. Where they get into triggers and stressors, threes don't like when they're uh, inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. They don't like being slow. But they have to get slowed down. That's a trigger. If there are no clear goals or success measurements against which they can judge their performance, that's a trigger. And possibility of failure. Which, by the way, is why more sevens are startup leaders than threes. A startup, oh. for a, a startup for a three has a higher failure probability. And so they may be a little bit more, I'm not saying they don't 
start stuff. I'm just saying that they'd be a little bit more cautious. A seven will throw caution to the wind. Hey, let's just go for it, you know. <laughs> um, for a seven, feeling trapped, stuck, bored, deprived, lack of spontaneity, sociability, those are all triggers for them. For you, I'd say a trigger would be too many details. Uh, <laughs> just made my whole in, staff laugh. laugh. Right, uh, yep. right. Um, when, when people are indecisive, it'll trigger you. Uh, when you feel like somebody's got a hidden agenda or is deceptive, that'll trigger you. Uh, mm-hmm. y- you sometimes when someone shows too much weakness, it'll annoy you. Um, you don't like it when people change the rules <laughs> yes. without, without, without giving a, a dang good reason and boredom would, would be another thing that would probably throw you off the yeah, a hundred percent. Sabbath has always been hard. I'm learning. Yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Those are really good. Now I, I don't know, you know, we can debate all day long what the next six to 12 months would be, but I want to throw a phrase out there and let's just call it uncertainty that we've got uncertainty heading our way that it could be, you know, we don't know. Is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it? Is there going to be a second wave? Are we going to be allowed for church leaders, business leaders who rely on gatherings? Uh, can we do conferences anymore? Do people have to see, sit 12 feet apart? Can you only fill every third seat in an auditorium? Like, it just seems like there's a lot of uncertainty coming up, Ian. How will uncertainty impact leaders in the three, seven, eight types like how any tips for how to lead through uncertainty? Yeah. So I think one of the problems for leaders is in crisis is they, they tend to overmanage and underlead. Hmm. And there's a difference between management and leadership. Um, they need to be uh, what, what I call more meta leaders, right? They, they're the ones who have to step back and ask the question you just did, which is, what does this make possible? Mm. Uh, and let others manage while they lead, which is a, a whole, you know, um, different way of, of seeing the world, right? So I think, you know, three sevens and eights uh, will have to practice uh, the, the same thing that every other leader will have to um you know, do, which is uh, be a meta leader, not a manager, right? Because that's, that's what tends to happen um, with them. Uh, I would also say um, that uh, they want to be careful about uh, forgetting the human factors, right? That mm. other people don't see the way the world they do. They don't experience the world the way they do. They're, uh, other people are not as adaptable as they are. They can't become, they've got to maintain soft skills, in the middle of a crisis. Not everyone else is going to be able to do what they do. Um, and then um, I guess the other one is would be the trap, a trap for leaders is trying to control everything. Yeah. Uh, and meaning you, you don't want to create new layers of approval for minor decisions. You know what I mean? Things like that. It's like streamline, just get back, try and stay above the crisis and look for the opportunity. Be the person at the front of the boat with the telescope. Let somebody, you know, let someone else do the wheel. Let someone else take care of the sails. Let, you know what I mean? You be, be a meta thinker, not a micro thinker. I don't want to narrow cast too much, but let's just assume that uh, a, a sizable portion of the leadership territory is uh, occupied by threes, eights, and sevens. 
How um, how can non threes, non sevens, non eights support leaders who would have those three personality types? What can a one do? A two? A four? A five? A six? And a nine? Yeah, I mean, let's to be clear though, there are many, many great leaders. But I don't want to overemphasize three sevens and eights as sort of leaders. I would say sure. that they are stereotypically leaders. But most great American presidents have been nines. Really? Oh, because yeah, they have uh, that peacemaker role. Well, they also know how to make deals. They're peacemakers. They're mediators. Yeah. Uh, you know, Reagan. No question Reagan was a nine. You know, whether you like his politics or not, it doesn't matter. I think uh, for sure George W. Bush was a nine. I think Barack Obama. Barack Obama, I've, I've read, is a nine. a nine. Yeah. And – I actually think though people who disagree with me, I think that uh, I think it's very possible that Bill Clinton was a nine. Hmm. Um, so uh, none of those guys liked conflict. They were really good at um, though. Some people experienced Obama's being kind of aloof uh, and distant, um, but they were able to see the perspective, many different perspectives, which is the gift of the nine, right? They can see mm-hmm. the perspective of every single type. And so, and then they know how to get them all off the table and make, and, and make everybody feel heard. And if they're healthy, make a decision as to which of the voices at the table is right and run. Mm. With, right. If they're healthy, they'll do that. If they're not healthy, they just won't make a decision. They'll just sort of merge with the whole group and never get anywhere. Um, so I think, um, I'll well, take know, the question where you want, cause I think that's a really healthy yeah. direction. Well, I do. I think, I think, you know, it's all, and it's all sort of context driven, you know, uh, Bill Gates is a, probably a five. Um, it's possible. This is a complicated person, but when you read Abramson's book on, I mean, Isaacson's book on Steve jobs, it's possible he was a one. Yeah. Uh, or a seven who spent a lot of time going over to one in his, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, which happens, you know, when they're unhealthy. Um, hey, go talk to Mary Kay. Who, you know, you don't think she's a two? <laughs> uh, always start with a constructive, uh, nice thing about somebody, then bring the criticism, then end with a- another word of encouragement. You know, that's very two thinking, right? Yep. Uh, you go to find out who's the head of Herman Miller or the head of Tiffany's. You're going to find some fours floating around mm-hmm. or in, fashion, in the fashion. Nashville industry. is the four city, isn't it? In many oh. ways. Gosh. Oh, yeah. Or, yes, it is. Um, I have trouble finding locals who are not fours to get on my podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, sixes, you know, I was just talking to a six the other day, and he runs a risk management firm. Oh, perfect. I mean, perfect, but it's a big company. It's not a small company, right? So, again, any of these types can be great leaders. Three, sevens, and eights are kind of what we would think of as the sort of the stereotypical leader types. Mm. Right. And so I don't I again, I want to sort of demythologize this idea that, oh, in order to be a leader, I need to be a three, seven or eight, because I don't want those other numbers to think to themselves, oh, I'm not leadership material. Yeah, that's fair. That's really fair. No, uh, because they are if they're healthy and they aspire to it. And and by the way, here's the other thing I would say, if they're called to it, Mm. because. You know, um, I've met one pastors, I've met two pastors, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, the quintessential pastor is a two or a nine or a four. You know what I mean? And it's like baloney, you know, it's like part of it is what are you called to? 
And if you're really called to it, you'll be given what you need in order to do what it is you're called to do as a leader. So, you know. That's really fair. Uh, I want to ask you, what are you most paying attention to as we move forward? Well, I think for me personally, where my, where my attention has been is how can I be the best, most compassionate, healthy, skillful expression of who I am in my type as a husband, as a father, as a leader, and as a neighbor? Um, and I love that the Enneagram provides a roadmap for me. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know what the Enneagram is like for me? Yeah. It's like, it's like lane assist in my car. You know, <laughs> it's like, like, like if I start leaving my lane, it, it, a little light goes on in my side view mirror and it bumps me back. Just it kind of just nudges me back into my lane, you know? And, and so that's to me what the roadmap is like too, with the Enneagram. It's like, uh Oh, you're leaving your lane. <laughs> you're back in your lane. You're about to hit something, you know? Don't do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be focused on, in this moment, how can I do what love requires of me? And uh, how can I, you know, and, and, and pondering what does this make possible? Not just as a leader, but for me internally. As a human being. Um, yeah. As a human being. And that just tends to be my, my, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm a four, I'm a writer, um, you know, that's, those sort of existential questions are the ones that really tend to grab my attention. Um, so that's, that's what I'm paying attention to right now. Um, how can I be a supportive, compassionate presence in the world? Well, that's a, that's a really good challenge. So you've been doing some um, cool stuff on your channels over at Typology. Uh, you're speaking into this moment. And then you started a YouTube channel? Yeah. So Typology is my podcast. And you know, up to 10 million uh, listens, you know, 10 million downloads now, which is a thrill. Yeah. This is my three, this is my three wing talking. <laughs> um, and and uh, so we, we have that, we have um, my IEQ nine uh, test, yeah. which is still out there running and doing great. People can go to my, my uh, website, Ian Morgan Cron, C-R-O-N, uh, and check that out. We have the um, Enneagram made simple course that I did with Donald Miller. Yeah, uh, which is available and it's fantastic. YouTube channel is rocking, and I'm putting out. I just did one on Enneagram and stress, a nine part series for just five or six minutes each. Yeah, they're actually, really those good. Are little, yeah, actually, those were a little bit more like ten minutes. New series, five or six minutes because my audience wants me to get to the point. Um, and uh, that's going to be on Enneagram and and parenting, which I'm really excited about. And hmm. uh, and we'll have a new online course in about a month. Now, this is exciting. Uh, people, I hope, will sign up for my email and figure this out. So for you as an eight, you come to one of my workshops, and you also have to hear about one through seven and nine. And what I'm going to do is uh, a 75-minute deep dive for each of the nine numbers. That's a great idea. So 75 minutes, I'm going to go deeper into one than you've ever got in a basic sort of read or workshop with me. Cause all I'm going to focus is, is on your strengths and challenges. And then I can just buy the one, right? Is that what you're saying? Like I, totally, I, yeah. I don't have to go through everybody else's stuff. Nope. Unless oh, you want to really hear read about your wife or your son or your daughter <laughs> or something. But, but yeah, I'm just going to do a deep dive into each type uh, in, in far more detail and more, more granular than I've ever done before. 
Oh, that's awesome. And uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes. So that's coming up. But ianmorgancron.com is where people can springboard into everything. Well, Ian, um, any final thoughts as we wrap up today? I guess one one thing I've been thinking of a lot about lately, and uh, this is going to sound really woo-woo for your audience, okay? But, you know, it's yeah. coming from a four, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's But it is what it is. It's just who I am. I just want to encourage everybody right now to practice what I call unconditional self-friendship. Hmm. You know, um, it's amazing to me. Like sometimes I'll be with a leader or somebody, a pastor, and I'll go, uh, are you your own friend? And they'll almost be thrown back on their heels as though it never occurred to them that that was what they were supposed to be. Hmm. That's a great question. And, yeah, so I would say to you, hey, Carrie, have you ever extended to yourself the hand of unconditional friendship? It's a powerful question. And if you can get to a place in your life where, um, you know, you can can do that, um, I think um, that would be very, very powerful. I'm going to just read you a, a, a very quick quote from Abraham Lincoln because I love mm-hmm. this quote. He says, I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be down inside of me. Whoa. It's a great quote. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And in these in this very, very, very stressful time, if we are not practicing unconditional self-friendship, I think we have very little to give anybody else. Hmm. It's a wonderful place to leave it, you know, and often I can get, so I think like most people I've talked to who've read your book, done the Enneagram assessments, I get so obsessed with what's wrong with my personality that I forget that there was a creator behind it, that there is a redeemer behind it. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, we, some of the time we'll have a conversation about my thoughts on the lousy marketing of churches. Like <laughs> here's the, here's, here's, here's the marketing I hear for most churches, right? Basically, I'm going to overstate it for the sake of illustration, right? Um, you are bad. Uh, God is really mad at you. Um, we can, there is a way for us to get God to uh, be reconciled. You, you know where I'm going? It's I know like, exactly where you're going. But yep. it's like, what if you started by saying, you are really beautiful. Hmm. You are, you know, you, you are, you are beautiful. And we know a way to make you even more beautiful than you were created. To You know what I'm saying? Like, like there, there's gotta be a better way to communicate this gospel thing than just you're bad. God's really, really mad at you. And come here and we'll help you figure out how to unwind that problem. Instead of, you know, you are very beautiful. Uh, you, you, are, you have not yet lived into the, of just how much more beautiful you could be. And mm. if you connect to God, that's, doesn't that sound better? That sounds a lot better. But you know what? You can't preach that message unless you believe it about yourself. And you never will. Yeah. Back to your self-friendship quote. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe maybe a few leaders after this are going to have to go sit quietly in the corner and perhaps shed a few tears and wrestle that down and come to terms with that. That's This has been a really profound conversation. I thought we were going to talk about stress and we just talked about so many wonderful things, Ian. Uh, you're such a gift to me. You're a gift to the church. You're a gift to millions of leaders everywhere. And 
so grateful that you would uh, spend some extra time with us today. Oh, I love this. I love speaking with you. You, you, you always um, stimulate uh, me and, and help me to remember things that I had hmm. forgotten. Hmm. Truths that I had forgotten by asking really good questions. And, and uh, we all need to be reminded of these truths that sometimes end up in the shadows and where we forget them, you know. I think our teams were setting up an in-person in Nashville this summer, and uh, who knows whether that'll happen. But if it does, I, I hope next time we're sitting across the table from each other and uh, having the conversation in person. But uh, yeah, really thankful for you. Thanks, Ian. Peace and grace to you and your family. You bet. Well, that was Rich. And if you want show notes, you can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 342. I've got a What I'm Thinking About segment coming up in just a few minutes where I'm going to talk about the Enneagram and your leadership. But first, I want to tell you about the 30-day pivot. Uh, man, I have pivoted. I, I got to tell you, we pivoted, obviously, when the crisis hit. But then I didn't stop. We did it again and saw a massive growth. And then we did it again. And I, I got to tell you, it has blown me away. So I've seen 400% growth in one area of my company, over 1,000% growth in another area by pivoting. And you know what I'm realizing? I kind of already knew this, but pivoting is the key to the future. And I've got a framework I would love to share with your organization on how to pivot and how to pivot quickly. Uh, there are some organizations in the future new normal that are not going to make it. Some that are going to survive, but only a few will thrive. Why don't you make your church or your business one of those that's going to thrive? And in the 30-day pivot, uh, I'm going to show you a framework that can help you to do that. So it's not actually like, oh, here's what you need to do. It's a process for doing it. And the problem with most organizations is they're too slow. They or they have lots of ideas and they don't execute. So the future is uncertain, but yours doesn't need to be. Today, you can still sign up for the 30-day pivot at special introductory pricing. It will not be this low for long. But for just $77, you get the entire framework, three video trainings, a PDF download with the framework attached, all of that. Go to the30daypivot.com while you still can. And uh, yeah, get in on something that I have found so valuable and I'm so excited about getting into the hands of leaders. Well, uh, what I'm thinking about is coming up soon. We're going to talk about the Enneagram and leadership. But in the meantime, who's coming up next? Well... I got a chance to sit down with Nikki Gumble, and in a couple of days, we're coming back with a fresh episode. He is someone I've gotten to know personally a little bit over the last year. He is the pioneer of Alpha Ministry. He is the vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton in London, England, and a global thought leader and spiritual leader. And he pivoted to digital, which he was deeply opposed to for a thousand reasons, and it blew his mind at how effective digital alpha, digital church could be. Here's an excerpt from the next episode. Then there is this extraordinary thing, which again, I would never have predicted. In fact, I would have predicted the exact opposite. They're more open online than they are in person. Wow. Right from day one, people were being honest, open. I don't know what it is, whether it's kind of less threatening because you, know, you don't think you, you'll ever necessarily see them again. Oh, oh, what it is, but they were right from the, right from the beginning saying, I'm, I'm a Narcotics Anonymous, or I'm doing this, or I'm, uh, or this is the, talking very openly about their personal circumstances. And therefore, the relationships within the group formed 
so quickly. And the questions, I mean, it was just amazing. The first night, the questions they asked. That interview has been about a year in the works, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. So that's coming up in just a couple of days. Subscribers, you get it for free. Thank you for sharing and telling others about the podcast. And now it's time for what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking about the Enneagram and leadership. This segment is brought to you by Financial Peace University. Learn more about leading a Financial Peace University virtual class, plus learn how you can get one year free access to Financial Peace and every dollar plus by texting CARRY, C-A-R-E-Y, to 33789. And book a free digital strategy session with Promedia Fire at promediafire.com forward slash church growth. So, uh, well, what about the Enneagram and your leadership? Well, I was one of those people who was very late to the party on the Enneagram. I thought, ah, I heard so much buzz about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. Then a couple of years ago, I read the book and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And uh, it's taught me so much. I've learned so much. I think I've grown spiritually. And here's a couple of things, and Ian and I drilled down on this in the interview, but uh, just to underscore some of the things we talked about. First, your emotional and spiritual health is often the difference between awesome and awful as a leadership. Far more important than your number, whether you're an eight like me, or a seven, or a two, or a you know nine, doesn't really matter. But an unhealthy, whatever your number is, is going to be a much worse leadership journey than a healthy person. And to get healthy, as Ian and I talked about, that's sort of a deep journal. That's sort of a deep journey. That's a spiritual journey. That is an emotional journey. That's a personal journey. And I've learned as I've gotten to be more healthy as a leader, everything gets better. A healthy eight can make a positive contribution to the world. An unhealthy eight, not really. Uh, But then this one goes a little bit deeper. You know that underneath your wiring is a wound? What's a big thing for eights? Well, we want to be in control. And uh, I don't know exactly what happened when I was younger, but, you know, I don't like people controlling me. And what I realized is that makes me a controlling person. And uh, try being a controlling husband. Not fun to be married. Try being a controlling parent. Nope. Controlling boss. Nope. So whatever happened, I mean, whether you were bullied as a kid or whether you just feel like you didn't have power, uh, it all impacts your life and leadership. And so one of the things I have very actively been wrestling down, particularly again over the last few months, because it's like an onion, you just peel it in layers, there always seems to be more, is I think you can look at my whole life through an attempt to control things. And that is not a good thing. And so I'm in the process of surrendering. I'm in the process of giving it over to God. And uh, if you don't know the source of your unhealthy behavior, you can't correct your course. So underneath your wiring is a wound. Uh, The third thing, and I'll leave you with this because this is really deep work, is you won't get healthy by accident. You won't get healthy by accident. Uh, Maybe use this big interruption we have around the world. That's what I'm trying to do to just get healthier. Unhealthy leadership happens by accident. Healthy leadership does not. And as a leader, just know this, you'll never address what you don't confess. So maybe sit down with people close to you and say, look, how is my wounding? How is my unhealth impacting you? Oh, I promise you, they know. They will give you feedback. Confess it, address it, deal with it, do the work you need to do. Because ultimately, here's what's true. Healthy leaders create healthy organizations unhealthy leaders create unhealthy organizations. The Enneagram has really helped me see in a deeper way how I'm healthy, how I'm not healthy, 
how we can all grow together. And uh, you know what? That makes me a better husband, a better dad, a better boss, a better friend, all of those things. So I hope that's been helpful. That's what I'm thinking about a lot in lockdown. We're back soon with a fresh episode. If you have not yet jumped in on the 30-day pivot, it's just $77. Very like That's almost half price from where it's going in about a week. Uh, but we wanted to give you at very aggressive introductory pricing. Why? Because we're all pivoting. We're all learning. So if you want to have agility in the future, I believe agility is a superpower in an uncertain future. Check out the30daypivot.com before it's too late. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We're back next time with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.